Welcome to Idle Chatter, brought to you by the Machinery Digest, where steel and soil meet. A weekly podcast by a New Jersey farmer to all farmers and ranchers across this great nation. And yes, there are farms in New Jersey. Regardless of the crop you grow or the livestock you raise, we all have one thing in common. Agriculture runs on passion, sweat, tears, and machinery, and that is why the Machinery Digest exists, a no-nonsense, grease-under-your-fingernails educational website. It was created to provide a transfer of knowledge so that you can maintain, service, and most importantly, understand today's complex farm equipment. My name is Ray Bohax, and I farm too. It is time now to get under the sheet metal. Hello and welcome to Idle Chatter. This is Ray Bohax, your host, the Hot Rod Farmer. I'm hoping that the sound of my voice finds you doing well today. And you uh, have to excuse me because I have uh, sinus issues and my throat is a little bit uh, congested. So if I have to clear my throat every once in a while, I ask in advance for your uh, forgiveness. So we'll get... we. Uh, just about getting ready to start to harvest our sweet corn as i said in the podcast a week or two ago we were getting ready to do that and when you uh, by the time you listen to this we will really be deep into the harvest and it's just been a very very digital year it was a wet this spring it wasn't excessively wet it was just too wet to get into the field if that makes any sense and uh, we basically didn't have a lot of snow over the winter. We had a couple of big dumps, but they were not, didn't have a lot of moisture content in them. Uh, so we were really low on the water table, which is seems to be a, uh, an occurrence the past number of years. But anyway, we were damp in the spring and it was a little bit too damp to get in the field. So I got in later than I had hoped to. And then we had no rain and then it got very, very hot. We had about a week or 10 days of 100 degree weather and then we got about eight inches of rain in a week which was fine because we needed it but then the sun never came out so my uh, corn doesn't really know what to do it's uh, been on off dry drought stressed uh, I don't want to say flooded extremely wet but right now uh, it's it's just something where I think the plant uh, is going crazy. So I just don't think that it really knew what to do. We do 10 plantings, and my first planting I am uh, kind of disappointed in, and that's the one that saw the extreme weather conditions and also was some leftover seed from last year. And historically, that's not a problem. We, we freeze the seed, and then I do a germination test, and I usually have about 90% germination, which is just about what you would get with new seed. But whatever the good Lord has, for us, uh, we'll, we'll be happy to take, and uh, the other plantings do look very well, thank God, so that uh, that's a, a good consolation. So the first planting is not what I'd hoped it to be, and it, it's, you know, farming is like the Indy 500, right? It's not over till the last lap, and that first planting really looked great, and it really endured the drought stress of the extremely dry weather and the, uh, the heat. And it, but it just after that, it never seemed to uh, to, 
to take off the way it should have. I don't know whether it sapped all the energy out of it or to tell you the truth, I mean, I think it was probably a combination of things and I think it was more the cloudy days. I mean, we really had no sun this year uh, whatsoever. After that, that hot hot weather spell, it's been very, very uh, overcast and cloudy and actually gloomy. But uh, hey, that's farming, right? So hopefully things are better on your place as you get ready to go into harvest and God willing, you'll have a, uh, a bountiful crop. And what I wanted to talk about today in the podcast is that so many people, um, when they look to buy parts for their equipment, think that parts are parts. And they think that no matter or what brand you buy or where you source it from, that if it looks the same, that it is uh, that it is the same. And the factory is just really trying to steal your money by charging you more for a part. So we're going to address that today. I know that may be a sensitive subject for some of you, but uh, you know that's what this podcast is about. It's about telling you the truth, not what you want to hear. I think too many times in life today, people just uh, are told what they want to hear, and that does no one any good to uh, tell you what you want to hear. We need to tell you what you need to know. And as a professional, I mean, if you go to a doctor, you want him to tell you the truth so you could be cured. You don't want him to tell you what you want to hear. So I'm going to tell you what you don't want to hear. And we're going to talk about some parts. But I'd like to start again with a little story. And uh, back in 2015, so that's uh, three years now, my wife Charlotte and I uh, decided to go out to St. John's, Michigan and visit with AgroLiquid at the time, AgroLiquid Fertilizers. At the time, they were called Agriculture Liquid Fertilizers and we wanted I want to go up to their facility I had seen their ads on television and I was very intrigued by the fact that they said that you could uh, if your soil is not nutrient deficient that you could put all your uh, nutrient needs on through the sprayer so I was very interested in that and I really had I really didn't understand the concept of their product and I wanted to go out there and see what it was all about because to me fertilizer was fertilizer I mean, I obviously know there's different types of fertilizer, but I looked at fertilizer as I did windshield washer fluid. And, you know, it made no difference what brand it was that the uh, windshield washer fluid was more or less the same. And I would go to the store and I would buy uh, whatever was on sale and I would use that and I'd be happy as a lark. And I'd you know, be pretty proud of myself. Oh, I saved, I saved a little bit of money on this windshield washer fluid. And sadly, I looked at fertilizer uh, through the same set of eyes. I really didn't think there was much difference in the quality of fertilizers, and I didn't think that there was much technology difference, and I just thought that, you know, NP and K and micronutrients and wherever they were sourced from, it was kind of moot. It didn't really make much of a difference. And, you know, farming in New Jersey has its own obstacles. I guess it has its own advantages, and they are few, but... It has its, it has a lot of obstacles, and the obstacles are the main obstacle that we face about farming in New Jersey is that we do not have the outlets to purchase uh, crop protection products and fertilizers from a whole bunch of different organizations. Uh, in our neck of the woods, we have a Growmark FS dealer, and that's really basically it. So you either get everything you need from him and or you have to go out of the state go to pennsylvania 
or New York State or down to Delaware. Not so much Delaware from, from me because I'm in North Jersey, so you'd either go out to Pennsylvania or upstate New York, New York State, where we would say, we call it New York State because in this neck of the woods, if you say New York, people think it's New York City. So, in essence, whatever Growmark FS sold, that's what you ended up using, unless you wanted to uh, put some wheels underneath it and get out there and look for a different brand or a different product. And since most people didn't think of fertilizer or chemicals being much different in nature, they would just do business locally. And I, I have no issue with that, and I like to support my local businesses. But I know as, as an engine guy and also as a farmer that... I want to have a selection. I want to be able to select the uh, components that I use on my farm, the chemicals and the fertilizers. And I was a little bit frustrated by having only one source and one brand to deal with. So anyway, so what happened was that I was really intrigued by agro liquids ads and their ads in the magazine and on, and on television and on the radio. So I decided to uh, go up there with my wife and also they have at their facility I had found they have a building called the IQ Hub which is a uh, I subsequently found that when I got there which is really wonderful if you're ever in St. John's Michigan area the IQ Hub is a must-see if you're ever in Michigan and it's a uh, it's an educational learning facility about it's self-guided and it's about the history of fertility and it's, you really have to go there to see it it's very hard to explain it's exquisitely done and it's definitely a destination for anybody who's in agriculture and it's um, it has really even though it's in agro liquids facility it really has nothing uh, much to do with them they talk about fertility and about uh, how fertility came about understanding how a, a plant consumes fertility and needs fertility just really an excellent excellent experience and I think no matter how knowledgeable you are as a farmer or even an agronomist I'm sure that you could go to the IQ hub at the agro liquid facility and and come away learning something feeling it was a worthwhile visit well anyway so we got in the car we went up to Michigan and we toured the facility and uh, they also uh, took us to the test farm they have about a thousand acre test farm and I came away from that experience and I got in the car and I said turned to my wife and said we have to you know employ this technology next year in our farm that I did not understand prior to going there what a high efficiency fertilizer was or what low salt fertilizer was or um, I really knew and I really knew nothing about fertilizer other than it was vitamins for the crop and and after leaving there, even though I was certainly no agronomist, but I saw enough and learned enough while at my stay there at my visit to be able to say that we need to use this on our farm. And, and that's it. I mean, I'm not going to be a chemist. I don't want to be a chemist, but we need to use it. So uh, subsequently in, in 2016, we were going to buy a, uh, some new equipment. We ordered bought a new planter and since I decided to go with the agro liquid program I had the planter built to have liquid fertilizer instead of dry fertilizer and uh, we su subsequently we did the program for the first time in 2016 we had spectacular results but the reason why I'm telling you this is because just as I thought that fertilizer is fertilizer that most people think that parts are parts, which I said in the beginning. 
and I wanted to explain to you why you should buy original equipment parts when they are available. Now I know I probably got somebody's dandruff right away because you think that that you know I'm, I'm trying to spend your money unnecessarily to go to the dealer and buy a replacement part from them whether it's for a piece of farm equipment or even for a vehicle but I'm going to explain to you why and hopefully at the end of this uh, podcast you'll be able to find value in what I am telling you. A good friend of mine Bob Ida has a saying and it's very simple and you could move it around and you could change it around to whatever you want it to, to be to, to fit it. It's not engraved in stone. And the way he says it is that I am not wealthy enough to be able to afford to buy something that cheap. At first blush, that seems like a contradiction. But if you listen to what he's saying, what he's conveying is that he's not affluent enough to be able to buy something two or three times because it's junk or it's of poor quality or if it doesn't perform the way you want it to perform. So he's saying that I need to be able to buy something once and buy it right. And that really is very important when it comes to buy parts for your equipment. So the thing is that why do I suggest buying and I, I follow my own medicine. I buy nothing but factory parts for all of my cars, my trucks, and my farm equipment. I paid a couple of dollars more, but I want the factory part. And the reason being is that when the aftermarket makes a part, and this is not a, a knock on the aftermarket, there are times when you have to buy an aftermarket part for an older piece of equipment that's no longer serviced by the original manufacturer or, uh, or an, an older engine or what have you but when the aftermarket makes a part they are trying to reverse engineer the factory part but also they need to be able to bring this part in at a cost that will make it uh, make it desirable for the consumer to purchase so let's let's give a random example let's say that your your tractor needs a water pump and if you went to the dealer whatever brand it is and you went to the dealer and they said okay a water pump a new water pump is four hundred dollars and then you went to an aftermarket source and they said well you know a new water pump from us is two hundred dollars so you're saying wow why should I pay four hundred dollars for a water pump when I could get one for two hundred dollars well the thing is that it's all the it's everything that you cannot see is what makes that pump much more money than the aftermarket so what the aftermarket has to do is they have to compromise the design they have to compromise uh, the materials and they have to compromise the the whole package to try to make it fit many applications so that they can amortize the cost and get the cost down and that is one of the key excuse me one of the keys to why the, there is a big price differential now i'm not gonna now i'm not gonna i'm gonna have you know for for upfront for full disclosure i'm not gonna deny that maybe the dealer has a higher markup level on it or what have you but we're talking about the quality of the part so for instance 
Let's talk about, and I'll make an automotive analogy because it's, it's something everyone can um, connect with. So let's say your pickup truck needs brakes, and we'll say it's a Ford pickup truck, and it, need, it needs brakes, it's its first brake job. So that means right now it has on it factory brake pads and factory brake rotors. What a lot of people do do not understand is that when it comes to friction material, and this pertains to brake pads and it also pertains to clutches and to uh, to drum brakes, drum shoes and brake uh, brake drums, is that there is a synergy, that there is a recipe that needs to be met between the friction material and the friction surface, and this synergy is going to result in the way that for instance the braking system functions now it's going to function with an aftermarket brake rotor on it I'm not going to deny that but all the intangibles so in other words the feel of the brake pedal the stopping distance the, the stopping distance the noise level the amount of dust or all and the the wear characteristics are all dependent upon the synergy between the friction material and the, the friction surface. Now, for instance, if you were to look at most OE applications, most original equipment applications, for I, and I believe that using Ford as an example because I had the data, is that from the factory they have about 35 different metallurgical formulas for brake rotors and about a 75 or 80 different formulas for brake pad composition and the reason why they go through all of that is that is that you need to have that synergy for this vehicle to stop properly give a long service life for the for the braking action to be smooth for it to be to, for it to be controllable and all of the attributes that you would look at for proper brake performance. The aftermarket has, and this is a known fact, the aftermarket for most part, the better aftermarket brands have about three different formulas for friction material, that's the brake pad, and uh, one or two formulas, if even that, for the friction surface, which is the metallurgy of the brake rotor. And if you go to the to the list, to the, I'm not well. I'm going to say it cheap. The cheapest aftermarket stuff, right? What what you're going to find is that they have one formula for all the brake friction material brake pads, and they have one formula for the metallurgy. And all they basically do is have that part fit. So they'll cut that pad differently, or that pad will be shaped differently, or that rotor will be shaped differently in a different mold, a different casting for that particular application. But basically, it's the same friction material, and it's the same friction surface. And that really is an issue. And if you ever... Um, GM used to have, General Motors used to have, back in the 70s, they had an ad campaign that said, you know, keep that great GM feeling. And this is one of the things they were, were talking about, is that the aftermarket does not have the ability to design and manufacture everything to the level that the OE does because the OE is making it application specific whereas the aftermarket to come into the price point that the consumer will embrace 
versus the factory part they have to be able to just make one size fits all in essence and that is a very common thing where you would change the brakes on brake pads and the rotors and you put or you'd have keep the factory rotors or put aftermarket pads and the vehicle stops or the clutch works the same thing happens with clutch discs and pressure plates the clutch works but it, you know it doesn't feel the same as it used to and it may not you know it may not last as long or with brakes it may a little bit more noise and they may squeal or they may have brake dust or they may not or they may hold some water when it's wet or what have you but I mean will the vehicle stop Yes. Will a clutch work? Yes. I'm not going to say it doesn't, but it doesn't feel the same as new. And most people attribute that to it, the vehicle or the machine getting older, when it really is a mismatch of the surfaces for the friction surface and the, uh, the friction material. But you know, that's not the end of the world. If you're willing to live with that and you want to save you know, 20 or $30 on a set of brake pads and or set of rotors or a clutch disc or a pressure plate, well, that's, that's your decision. To me, I don't think that that's a smart decision because I don't like to do the job twice. And when you use aftermarket parts, to a certain extent, you will uh, most likely have more wear and not have the, the, the life cycle that the factory part would, and you would also not have the performance. But where it really comes to play is with modern engines and modern equipment with electronics. And many modern engines use what is called a mass airflow sensor. And if you look, uh, go to the website, my website, farmmachinerydigest.com, I actually have a, um, a lecture hall series little a little voice of audio on how to properly clean a mass airflow sensor but on most engines today they'll use a mass airflow sensor on most most gasoline engines and in most light duty diesel engines that you have in your pick in pickup trucks that they use a mass airflow sensor and what the mass air mass airflow sensor say that 10 times quickly what that basically does is measures the amount of air that's coming into the engine and it uses that the computer the ECU uses that as a load calculation to determine the t the ignition timing on the gas engine and the fuel events the fueling through the fuel injectors and it, on the diesel it basically does the same thing but instead of ignition timing it uses that as one of the main decision-making um, facts in the injector pulse width and the timing of the injector opening and if you look at most aftermarket or rebuilt mass airflow sensors and there is a table that's called a transfer table you're not going to be able to see this and what it basically does is a transfer table is, is identifies at what output on that mass airflow sensor and most and they could either be a frequency which is a square wave or it could be an analog sensor which is a varying voltage most of them today are a frequency but it the transfer table identifies at what airflow into the engine what load that um each frequency or each voltage identifies and what you will find is that with an aftermarket component is that that is not aligned with the transfer table that the manufacturer originally wrote in the ECU, the calibration software. 
So what's happening is, yes, uh, let's say the, the sensor failed and it has a surface engine soon light and the vehicle is not running running properly and it gets diagnosed as a mass airflow sensor you look at a factory piece it's five hundred dollars you look at an aftermarket piece from the auto parts store in town and it's ninety dollars you say man i'm going for the ninety dollar one i'm not going for the five hundred dollar one and you're saving four hundred dollars and parts of parts it looks the same and you're uh, happy as a lark because it bolts on the same and it uh, looks all good and you uh, start up the engine and yeah, it runs the check engine light the service engine soon lights no longer on but it really doesn't run the way it used to and that's simply because that sensor doesn't have the degree of resolution that the factory sensor did and it's also skewing whereas it's it's very it it's sloppy it signals very sloppy and the ECU cannot use that for uh, as accurate data and now your fueling and your ignition timing curve is all off and I've seen many instances, uh, especially with something which people think is as simplistic as an oxygen sensor, is that they've uh, replaced the oxygen sensor with an aftermarket brand and the vehicle did not run right. The engine had a whole multitude of drivability problems and a lot of additional money was spent and simply because the output of that sensor was not proper for that application. So to bring this around full circle, is that just like I was ignorant to fertilizer and I didn't understand you know, what high efficiency fertilizer was, I didn't understand what low salt fertilizer was, I just thought fertilizer was fertilizer, that most people when it comes time to buy parts that they looked and they price shop them and you know there's nothing wrong with price shopping but it's, it's, only, a rele it's only relevant if you are getting the same quality. Now, something as simple as a water pump. How many people have a water pump fail on an engine? And they go and they put an aftermarket water pump on, and the casting is this, looks the same. The bolt holes are in the same place. The gasket fits everything. It bolts right up with no problem. And then afterwards, <coughs> the engine under certain conditions seems to be running hotter than it did before. And as I said a few minutes ago, sadly what happens is that since these parts fail uh, when the machine gets older or the engine gets older, is that you tend to think that it's like, well, it's, 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 it's getting tired and that's why it's doing this, or that's why it's running hotter or what have you. But when you look at the water pump, that the whole key to the water pump is the impeller design. And when you buy, in most instances, when you choose an aftermarket water pump is that the impeller design may not be the same as the factory one whereas the factory one may have been cast the impeller is stamped and then what they do is that to make the stamping they bend the the tangs of the impeller over and they make the impeller veins differently and it doesn't flow the same amount of coolant through the engine does it pump coolant yes but now you have an engine that's running hotter under load than you had before the pump failed. Before you only had a leaky water pump through the seal, it, the engine did not run hot, but you put this new water pump in and now it's running hotter. It's not overheating, but it's running hotter. Now keep in mind also is that using a pickup truck for an example, that even if that engine that same engine family is used in a car and used in a truck in most instances the pickup truck has a different water pump design than it than the same engine in a car 
and that is has to do with the flow rate of the water pump and also the pulley ratio most water pumps are designed to spin uh, just about 1.7 times the speed of the crank pulley so just under two times the crankshaft pulley speed and on a heavy duty application they may have that pump designed to spin at maybe 1.9 times the crankshaft speed or two times the crankshaft speed and also for instance on a on a heavier duty like a, a pickup truck application where they feel that that truck is going to be loaded and that engine is going to be working much more than it would in a passenger car that they'll have a different impeller and they may also have a different passage in the housing the housing exterior would look the same but the passage internally would be different and it may be larger to increase the flow or they may have a, a flow director in it or what have you and you know all of this is application specific I'm just throwing things out to you so that you could understand that that there is a reason why it's different and that's why when you were to go using the same example that if you were to go to the uh, dealer and get a water pump using an example and it would be a different part number than that same engine in the car when you go to the aftermarket it's the same part number and you know that's something you could even see with the internet today so if you don't want to uh, believe me do a do a search go on to one of these websites and for instance you know uh, take a uh, 4.6 liter in a, uh, a Ford pickup truck in an older Ford pickup truck and a 4.6 liter uh, V8 in a uh, Crown Victoria or a Mercury Grand Marquis using that as an example or if you're a General Motors guy you know use the equivalent car and that truck engine and then go into the aftermarket and look up a water pump and online for one of the aftermarket houses and you'll get a part number and then probably I'd say there's an 85 to 90 percent chance that they would give you that same part number for the truck application but then if you go to the manufacturer's website most of these companies are for General Motors and Chrysler have websites that allow you to look up uh, OE factory part numbers and you'll see that the part number is different and that is because there are elements of that water pump that are critical to the use of it being in a truck application versus in a in a passenger car that's loafing down the road so there are differences just like there are differences in fertilizer that there are differences in parts and i like to i don't like doing a job twice and i feel that if i'm if i'm purchasing something that's not a consumable it's going to have a long life whether it's brake pads whether it's uh you know brake pads bearings what have you water pump i want to spend the extra money and get the factory part and have the quality and know that that part is designed exactly for that application and the few dollars that i spent more in the scheme of life is going to mean nothing but all you have to do is allow that to be to bite you one time and all your profit or your savings I should say not profit from buying something that was a little bit cheaper over the years gets evaporated very 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 quickly so look at it that way now you know like I say in some some instances you have to buy an aftermarket part because the factory part is no longer available or there may be instances where you need to get this vehicle with this piece of equipment up and running and it's going to take a week to get the factory part and you have to buy an aftermarket part then then i would say 
at that particular point your your stick with a name brand aftermarket supply company I mean not so much the store but the supplier so if you're gonna buy a, if you're gonna buy a water pump see if you get a TRW water pump see if you get a federal Moogle water pump instead of one from China in some you know you know a Joe's water pump company that is coming in at a, at a much lower price point because if you were to uh, get a very high quality name brand aftermarket uh, part that is that in many times is also a tiered supplier to the OE uh, in the automotive industry and in the equipment industry they have what they call tier 1 tier 2 tier 3 suppliers and a tier 1 supplier is somebody that 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 supports the manufacturer directly so if John Deere is uh, building an engine and they need a pistons and they go to TRW to make the piston that's considered a tier one supplier it's they go they the that piston is made exactly to John Deere specification but it's made in a TRW factory and then they have tier two tier three and usually tier two and tier three are value added parts so they may have something let's say like an alternator and one company could be a tier three supplier so in other words they're making only the bearing that's going in the alternator but they're not actually making the entire alternator but if you stick with a major name brand company you'll uh, most likely be dealing with a tier one supplier and that's your best bet if you cannot get the factory part but like you know like Bobby Ida says hey I'm not rich enough to be able to afford to buy something that cheap and that's how I look at it. And you know, and I also look at anything on the farm, any equipment on the farm. I look at, I look at the way I look at a fire engine or an ambulance, or a police car. To me, that's akin to an emergency vehicle. Uh, as we all know, agriculture is a very time-sensitive business, and we cannot afford delays. We cannot afford failures, and we need to be able to get in the field and need to do what we have to do. And the um, we have to rely on that equipment and the equipment is only as good as the parts and components that you put in it so it is really a smart business move that when possible and when available to use the factory parts and to spend a couple extra dollars and to be able to go into the field in confidence so uh, like I said most people don't like hearing this they think that it's uh, a bunch of malarkey just like I thought fertilizer was fertilizer but you know to put closure to that you know fertilizer story is that we we were blessed in 2016 they bought the new planter and had that custom built if you go uh, onto uh, the website there's a picture of it up there but anyway uh custom built planter 28 inch rows it's uh, my i call it my hot rod planter because it's based on john dmx emerge units uh, but it has uh it has keaton seed firmers precision planting meters shoop no-till coulters uh, uh copperhead ag furrow cruiser closing wheels and uh, I think uh, double disc openers for liquid fertilizer. It's two by two and something else on it, but I forgot what right now. But but anyway, I call my hot rod planter. But we in 2016, we were blessed to be able to invest in the planter. And I also um, bought an Unverfirth Perfecta 12 field cultivator and a, uh, a brilliant subsoiler. But what happened is that we went with the uh, complete agro liquid program and I uh, I did a broadcast of some of their products but the, the thing that really uh, 
that really I wanted to uh, talk about was that in my 2x2, two two, based upon my soil test, they actually made a blend for me that was 11 different um, 11 different of their products in a 2x2. Two two. And that 2016 was a uh, very, very dry year here, and I had a beautiful crop. I was blessed with a beautiful and a bountiful crop, and I attribute that to the high-efficiency fertilizer and my crop not wasting water looking for nutrients, that the nutrients are readily available. And and the so not only the main nutrients but the micronutrients ready avail readily available, and I uh, was really uh, really impressed with the performance of that product. And it gets back to like I said, I saw the analogy of buying a factory part and buying a quality part, or buying a quality fertilizer, and just you know, just having the performance and that's really what it's all about whether it's performance in the field for nutrients performance in the field for fungicide or a hybrid or performance as far as your equipment is concerned is that we need to have performance because we can't afford we're not rich enough to be able to buy something that cheap so what I would like to do now is uh, stop beating you with that and uh, I'd like to go to our special delivery section and I had a gentleman uh, contact me, Kenny, and he has a, a Massey 213S. And I looked that up because I wasn't familiar with it, and it's a little compact tractor. And he wrote to me and he says, My tractor started missing after running a bush hog for 30 minutes. I recently changed the fuel filter. I used a Wix. Okay, uh, nothing against Wix. I looked, I looked but there are no leaks. Any suggestions? Well, he, he doesn't give us a lot of information here, but what I'm assuming is that he was bush hogging for 30 minutes, and then I'm assuming he shut the tractor off or maybe he got done bush hogging. I really don't know. And I don't know what the time frame was between when it started to misfire and uh, when it ran fine so from his letter it, it appears that he shut it off and when he came back it was misfiring what I would suggest for you to do at this particular point Kenny is if you have access to an infrared gun what you need to do is start the engine and then with the infrared gun uh, let it idle or maybe go on a fast idle wherever it's gonna whatever speed it starts to miss if it misses at idle uh, I want you to to take a temperature reading with the infrared gun on each exhaust port coming into the exhaust manifold or closest to the cylinder head so we could identify which is the colder bore and the, the bore that is colder will be the one that is misfiring and at that particular point you probably have two only a few choices number one either the injector is starting is sticking uh, or has an issue inside or it has a valve train problem or the least likely uh, cause would be that it broke a piston ring which I doubt it's gonna that's gonna that it would happen so quickly and there's no other telltale signs so I think it's probably more an injector but it also it could have broken a valve spring so if it has a double dampener spring and it has a single with a dampener it could have broken the dampener and the valve is lazy to return but by going and uh, using the infrared gun we will at least identify what cylinder it is and that it shouldn't be too hard to uh, 
pull off the valve cover if need be but I would look I would I would do that first identify which hole is the coldest and it'll be substantially colder if it's misfiring and then you may want to pull that one injector out and look at it or you may also want to uh, spray some oil around it when it's running before you pull it out and see if it helps the uh, misfire condition because the seal could be leaking and the, you know, the mystery here is that it happened all of a sudden so usually when it happens all of a sudden I mean nine chance that then something broke and it very well could have broken a valve spring or it could have uh, or the injector pinto could have stuck and you, you know you changed the fuel filter so I think you changed it because you was misfiring but you may have to end up pulling that one injector out and bringing it to inject the shop and see what's going on. So listen, thank you so much for listening, and I hope that you have a better understanding of why you should use uh, higher quality and, when, when possible, application-specific factory parts. And I hope that you're able to, uh, to tune in next week. And just remember that the Hot Rod Farmer is pulling for you, the American farmer. You have a blessed day, and you be well. Take care.